You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. Hello, and a warm welcome back to Potluck. I'm Scott, and as ever, I'm joined by the rare breed Bulgarian, Drago Jurov. Drago, I was actually recently watching How to Train Your Dragon 2 with my kids, and the pointed out that not only does the bad guy look like you, he's even called Drago. So we're curious, is he any relation? Oh, wow, Scott. Uh, well, first, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I'm very happy to uh, report that, uh, you know, the kind of approach that we have to dragons, uh, the narrative, I feel, has evolved. I think traditionally we used to think of, you know, uh, taming dragons, or even some people would go as far as say uh, break dragons. Yeah, so I think things have evolved. Clearly, the kind of power dynamic hasn't changed. We're still talking about training dragons. Yeah, uh, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, uh, so thanks for that. And two second point. Yeah, little known fact. Uh, you're talking about uh, you know breeds and um, relations. Yeah, little known fact. Uh, dragons very promiscuous. Uh, so it's perhaps too early in the morning to talk about, uh, you know, the genealogy of uh, dragons, uh, but uh, it may not be uh, too early to talk about the genealogy of the uh, marketing, advertising, comms industry. We have the uh, perfect person, the uh, perfect insider uh, to bring us in on all of that. Uh, today we have uh, Jocelyn Tse. Hi. Founder and lead strategist at uh, MMSN, uh, now based in Shanghai. Previously in various strategy and planning roles with DDB, Leo Burnett, TBWA, Ogilvy, FCB, JWT and Isobar uh, moving between Hong Kong and Shanghai. Uh, I think we're going to run out of time if we mention all the awards that she's collected along the way. Now, a brief intro into MMSN. Uh, it's an independent uh, network of strategists who bring together uh, experts, retail, commerce, uh, experts from various areas of expertise across uh, marketing to deliver towards client needs. Uh, and I think her LinkedIn page brings uh, all this to life very well, where she says, as an antidote to traditional working models, we understand a one-size-fits-all approach linear thinking, siloed expertise, it can no longer deliver on the efficiency and effectiveness that today's complex market landscape demands. Uh, Jocelyn, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, hi, um, I'm Jocelyn. Um, I think you've done a pretty thorough and good introduction of my background. I, um, For people who aren't uh, familiar with what I do in my industry, so in essence, I am in the broader uh, a scope of advertising and marketing and communications industry. Um, for many years, I've been a strategist. Um, and what we do essentially is to uh, observe the world, <clears throat> observe, sorry, <clears throat> observe the world and um, identify market trends, business trends, um, trends in people's lives and bring that in into um, driving creativity and more importantly, helping our, our clients' businesses grow. Um, and um, as you mentioned, I've been with many different agencies and, um, and lear I've learned a lot from that. And as a result, I am now doing something um, quite different from uh, my usual environments of creative, a creative agencies. 
Thanks, Jocelyn. That's a really nice uh, sort of prelude to the rest of the discussion. Um, as a slight twist or, or build on that intro, um, if we think of your journey as a strategist or indeed as a person, what would you say are like the three main ingredients or you know, what's been central to that, that recipe, if you will? Um, how would you answer that? Um, I, I stress a lot about being human in, in everything that we do, because at the end of the day, we're selling things to human beings. Um, despite, you know, currently there's a lot of emphasis on technology platforms and, you know, various forms of media, but at the end of the day, we're reaching to actual human beings with skin, flesh, and bones that are making decisions and we're trying to convey them. Um, so for me, um, A, um, compassion is really important um, to really understand people's lives, what they think, and being in their shoes. Um, that's one. And second is um, because what we do, it's not, it's never a, a, a fixed solution. It's unlike law medicine um it's always there's always an, a fixed answer to a certain problem um for us there are many many different solutions to uh what we need to do so there's a lot of exploration and trying things out so the second ingredient is in curiosity um being curious with you know what else could be done what's a better solution what else is out there and having that sense of um wanting to know more um, and, and, and using that information to help our work. And then last ingredient, obviously, um, wine. Wine is important. <laughs> uh, wine as a metaphor, I mean, I love drinking wine, and as a metaphor of um, being with other people. So my colleagues and even my clients, at the end of the day, they're just people um, trying to excel at their jobs. So Treating them as as a counterpart on that level is really important to me, and I've, I've built um, relations, really good relationships with my colleagues and my clients through time by just seeing them as a, a regular person. Okay, so how so how does the how does the wine come back to that then? Is that about <laughs> something around the the refinement <laughs> or the, the the good things coming to to you know mature over time? No, I think it's more. It's more like um, being able to have a good time and spend time with these people you're you're working with. Um, that is not about work um, outside of a work occasion. Yeah, fantastic. Great. So the the three C's of Jocelyn say, yeah, we have uh, C <laughs> compassion, C curiosity, and C community. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> okay. Or, or Chardonnay, I think it was Drago. <laughs> um, so okay. So, so before we move on to the, the next item in the menu, just a quick word about what the actual uh, menu involves. So in, in season two, we've been splitting each interview into smaller chunks. Uh, so we have part one, lifting the lid on Asia, part two, hacking humans, and part three, brand burns. Each are launched standalone, but we also have the full feast edition where you can hear the discussion with Jocelyn in full. Great. So let's start uh, lifting the lid on Asia. Um, uh, first, um, Jocelyn, we would like to tap into your unique perspective of what's happening um, in, in our region. Now, we know you've spent your childhood in Canada. Uh, you've been to university in Canada. You've been back and forth between uh, North America and Asia. Um, what sort of perspective did that bring uh, when you came to uh, study here and then when you were working in Hong Kong and later in China? Um, 
for what I do, especially um, looking at whether it's the market or human behavior, it's always good to have a being in a third person perspective and looking at things from a broader macro perspective. Um, when you're too deep inside one thing, it's really hard to dig yourself out and look at things from a broader macro level picture. Um, so that helps me a lot. Um, and um, also the sense of cross-culture comparison. Um, you know, you you have a different perspective. You always have a different perspective on one place after you leave it. Um, every time I leave China, I have a different perspective on the market. Um, very different from when I'm actually working there. Um, similarly, Hong Kong as well. So um, having this international um, background actually helps shape the way I look at things differently compared to other people, I guess. Okay, fantastic. So um, do you think that in your role as a strategist, this has also been, um, uh, has uh, helped you understand better people and, and culture, not just in uh, Hong Kong and uh, in mainland China, but also the way you approach understanding people in other markets? Um, absolutely. Um, I, I think even um, the way my colleagues and clients think and their way of things in different markets, I think it helps me understand them on that level as well. Um, and um, it, there are fundamental differences in, in how we behave and think. I My favorite book, it's called Geography of Thought. Um, if you're interested Please go read it. Um, it's super fascinating. Um, it basically it identifies a main difference between the Eastern world school of thought versus the Western world school of thought, and it goes back to history um, from you know Greek culture versus ancient Confucius culture and how that has um, influenced rest of the the different countries in in Asia and therefore collectively in Asia, there are certain commonalities in the way we think. Um, I find that super fascinating. So I'm, I'm huge on cross-culture um, 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 differences. Just just to build on that, Jocelyn, that, how, do, how do you feel um, clients respond when, well, for example, do they, do they see your kind of um, you know, cross-cultural background as something that, that you know, brings extra value to the table? Is that something you kind of touch on at all? I mean, obviously, Drago and I come from uh, obviously, you know, different different continents working in Asia, but we, you know, we don't have that kind of those sort of Asian roots in the same way. Just curious how that how that plays out um, in terms of the the way you're kind of seeing the value you bring uh, versus say somebody that's you know born and raised in China, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't think clients and the colleagues I work with are as academic as you know why I love the books, um, geography okay. of thought, but on mm. a really basic level, they're always curious about. Um, what's going on in, for example, um, um, people in, in other markets, they would be interested in what's going on in, in China. I'm actually working mm-hmm. on a lot of projects with um, uh, boutique agencies in Europe and New York. All of them wanting to learn what's going on in China because it's so much going on and it's ever-changing. Similarly, mm-hmm. um, people in China, they're very curious about successful formulas from, from uh, Western countries and learning from them in terms of brand building and using brand building to build their business in a long-term perspective. Okay. 
Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's not not too dissimilar, I think, to some of the work that we would do. We're obviously working sometimes with with uh, you know global brands. You're curious about the, the re- and, and also you, as you say, boutiques who may be working from other markets and and perhaps want a sort of foot on both sides in terms of uh, you know relatability and bringing that kind of global and local perspective. So yeah, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, and I think we we wanted to deep dive a little bit further on the Hong Kong versus Shanghai contrast. So we know over the last fifteen years. You've kind of worked on, on, on in several roles on, on both sides, if you like, you know, in Hong Kong and Shanghai. So we wanted to have a little bit of, uh, you know, fun with that, a bit of a quick fire comparison of the two from your perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I guess maybe professionally or, or personally or both, you can answer these as you, as you want to. But um, let, let's start with, with fun. Let's start with, uh, you know, if we're comparing Hong Kong and Shanghai as places to sort of, you know, carry out the craft of being a strategist, what, which would you say is, is more fun in that regard? Um, this is a really big question. First of all, what's fun? <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was talking to another, an, an old colleague of mine the other day, and we were just talking about how on the outside, a lot of people think our, our industry is super fun. Um, it's, mm. you know, we meet celebrities, <laughs> we're doing fancy shoots, stuff like that. Actually, on the contrary, um, we we forgot, we're, we're forgetting to have fun at, okay. uh, uh, with what we do. And things have gone too serious. It's uh, There's a lot of emphasis on uh, revenue, building businesses, and we forget to have fun. Or even, you know, this emphasis on getting awards. Um, and uh, that's something I try to bring back into the offices that I work in and people that I work with. Um, especially with my team now, um, there's a reason why uh, they're also not in a, in an agency environment. Um, s- simply because they want to do something that's more fun. Um, however, um, if if I really need to answer this question, I think China <laughs> China is probably the the place where I would have more fun. Um, simply mm. because there's a lot more going on. You know, some people would see that as a challenge. Um, oh my goodness! There's so much happening. Um, how do I uh, uh, get a get my wrap my head around all of this? But then, for me, anything that's challenging is fun. Um, you know, without challenging, without challenges, things are stale and you know uh, the same. Um, so, with in that perspective, I think China always offers a bit, a little bit more fun <laughs> than Hong mm. Kong. Interesting, because actually the second part I was going to ask, which was the more challenging or fulfilling for you, and it sounds like China is the answer, but perhaps you could elaborate a little bit more on why you find you know China to be that challenging, sort of fulfilling, or maybe not, maybe it's challenging, but is it fulfilling? So yeah, tell us a bit more about that in terms of China versus versus Hong Kong. Um, I think both markets are challenging um, in really different ways. So China... Mm. It's um, like I mentioned, it's the market landscape. There's so much going on that's driven by new technology um, and uh, people's lives are changing and and um, redefined by technology, basically. Um, so cha- the challenge there is to um, really be up to speed with everything that's going on. There's a new product, um, as in technology product, um, that is launched every day basically on, on different platforms on wechat on on taobao uh, etc um however 
um, looking back at Hong Kong market, the challenge here is um, how do you move a, a sleeping giant? Um, we've been kind of doing the same stuff and kind of comfortable doing the same stuff for many, many years. Um, so how do you kind of shake things up? So it's another kind of challenge here. Um, and, um, you know, any kind of challenge for me is great because um Challenge challenges are you know the other side of looking at a challenge are all opportunities. So if you're able to crack the challenge, then you know it always leads to something great. At the end of the day, if you have to compare the two places, Hong Kong is a much smaller market, and um, our lives are much less diverse than say compared to China or even other countries around the world. Um, so. One challenge that I always face is you know there's really just maybe three insights around people's lives in Hong Kong. And my challenge would be to find a thousand different ways to repackage the same three insights. Okay. Are you able to share what those insights are or are they, uh, are they planners, uh, secrets or <laughs> what would you say? What, or, no, or even I, one I of them? I recently read someone's blog and you know someone wrote a, a, an article about uh, 10 insights you should never use again for Hong Kong. So one of them is um, the sense of not being able to see the future. Um, another one was about in Hong Kong, there's this whole lion rock spirit. Hong Kong people kind of work for themselves and strive hard to make things on their own. Um, there are all these um, things that we know about Hong Kong people that has not changed. And therefore, you know, as a strategist in the marketing world, we have to find different ways to repackage the same thing. Mm. Mm. They're kind of like cultural truths or cornerstones, but they're not necessarily going to reveal anything new or exciting or, or you mm-hmm. know, how a category is unfolding or, yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the third angle I was going to ask you about, Jocelyn, was around creativity um, and how the two compare on that front. But perhaps what I'll do is I'll, I'll tee Drago up for, uh, for the next question in that regard to, yeah. um, to, to shift the conversation. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, cre- creativity is a very interesting one for me personally. But um, 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 I have to say first that I'm a big fan of the geography of thought myself. Yeah. So uh, w- one of the things that I learned from uh, uh, from that is the, the the kind of what it's opened my eyes to the importance of context in uh, in 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 Asia. Yeah. So it's important that I build uh, I, I build up this conversation around um, creativity. Um, so. Um, we know that there have been a number of different papers, lots of data that show um, the strong connection between creativity and effectiveness. If you think of the work of Lesbian Nett, of Peter Fields, the IPA case studies, yeah. Uh, but I have the sense that it's all been very West-centric. Uh, it's not clear, really, how much of the data they're using in these studies um, used to demonstrate the role of creativity is from Asian markets, or China for that matter. Um, at the same time, um, MasterCard CMO um, Raja Rajamani, in his recent book, um, Quantum Marketing, um, uh, he claims that we need to be more like China, yeah? So where, where the focus is more on, on uh, products, on platform, on influencer re- relationships. So, uh, you know, product, channel strategy, distribution, the, the harder aspects, if you will. So who is, who is right here? Um, is it that creativity works in the West, but not in Asia? Uh, and if so, why is that? Um, or are we really talking about a completely different uh, concept of creativity here? It's a very kind of very heavy, very lo- loaded question. Wh- wh- where would you like to start uh, unraveling <laughs> this from? 
<laughs> I, I like the third statement that you just <laughs> made. Um, is it about a different kind of creativity? Because right. I had a really long conversation with an old colleague. I have a lot of old colleagues, sorry, <laughs> um, the other day about creativity. Um, and I, when I first went to China, I struggled. And I even had a, a conversation with a really important client of mine about creativity because we were just not getting work um, the way we wanted because our minds were benchmarking with work from the U.S., from Europe. Mm. And... And we were just not getting the same kind of work in China. And then we, we even talk about education system. Um, back in the day, people were, were, were not allowed to be creative in school, you know, kind of the cookie cutter way of, of being educated. Um, however, I, I, I'm starting to feel that um, people's receptiveness to creativity might be different in different markets. So in in um, Western markets, um, they, you would see more storytelling kind of creativity and um, you kind of creativity that kind of touches the heart. It's more emotional. Whereas in China, um, people are more receptive to or, or people have time for creativity that catches their attention, catches their eyes, talkable. Um, it gets them excited. Um, so I think, you know, creativity works in everywhere, you know, creativity mm. always, if you've if found a good way, always helps drive business. And this is my role. And um, it's just a matter of how is it then used as a vehicle and then expressed in the right way in different markets. And, and as a result, um, you see a lot of really exciting stuff going on in China. Um, really quirky kind of stuff as, as well, um, because, you know, people are probably more receptive to that kind of creativity. Okay, so quirky is something that, uh, you know, uh, can give them some kudos in a social context if they share, if they talk to friends about, uh, compared to kind of the more personal experience of creativity in a, in a Western context, as, as you said, yeah? Josh, so is, is that also about salience, like standing, like, you know, cutting through the clutter, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use. But, you know, if we look at China and the sheer volume of, of digital, you know, social noise, if you like, is, is there something about having to have that immediacy and that kind of hook, if you like, you know, in any form of content or comms or? Um, in my very humble point of view, to some extent, yes, um, because people, I mean, we talk a lot about short attention span and lack of time everywhere around the world, but then this is, um, especially true in China. Um, there's just so much going on, and we're still, uh, it's just still a market in, in a very much a, an exploration phase. Um, people are just trying to discover things they love, and it's still a journey of getting to understand um, ultimately uh, what they really love and who they want to be, uh, what they want to do in life. So, therefore, there's a burst of things that would stimulate them that way um, to 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 um, discover and explore and uh, get a sense of excitement that way. Um, mm. And uh, and and there's a lot of content brands doing different things. Um, so, to your point, it's really important to cut through the color, and even if it means I only get half a second of your attention. That's already considered okay. success to some extent. 
Okay, which I think brings us nicely to um, your your current role. Or, you know, you, the last the last kind of couple of years, you've been working uh, under this um, MMSN um, banner, which is effectively a kind of a collective with you you at the heart of that. So we're really curious, and, and as people that also work, you know, in in various kind of collective circles, can you can you tell us more about why you're having worked for the likes of your Ogilvy's or your JWTs, uh, you know, many leading agencies that you you followed that path in recent years, and, and what do you see? is like the merits or the kind of you know the the, the virtues of, of that that type of model um i th- this is actually a reaction to things that i haven't been able to do um historically in agencies that i was at before um i don't know if you remember maybe over 10 15 years ago there were start there was a start of uh, a conversation around um integration integrated models so uh, more traditional agencies want to be more "quote unquote" integrated. Um, however, that actually never really happened. Um, you know, even though they bring in different um, entities to help them be more integrated, but then internally it was always in silo. They had different PNLs, etc., and nothing was really actually integrated um, inside. And um, another um, observation that I had was the. Uh, again, um, at previous agencies, um, the the way of working was always very, very linear. Um, it was, you know, someone goes and meet the client, gets a brief, and then the brief sits on the desk for a few weeks, by the way. <laughs> by the time it gets to me, it's crunch time. I have, you know, two days to form a strategy, and then we have to quickly then hand it over to the creative guys to come up with something. It was very linear, and um, there was no sense of collaboration, and um, ultimately it was also very inefficient in my view. Um, okay. So with um, years of, of being in environments like that, I just felt like you know we are in a world where there's so much going on at the same time, we cannot afford the the luxury of time to, to work in that way anymore. So, um, and then also, um, uh, because of the complexity of our markets, uh, especially in China, <clears throat> there's no way we can have experts in every granular, uh, types of marketing models in, in China in, in under one roof anymore. So <clears throat> the idea of the collective is to pull in experts, experts when needed, um, and custom make a team, to um, really uh, address the client's need. Fantastic. So you already you already alluded to that being um, perhaps apt for China. I mean, do you, do you, to take that a step further? Do you do you see the collective model as almost being a kind of a a, a benchmark or a you know a, a, a sort of identikit for moving forward in China in terms of how you need to kind of react to a to a market that's constantly uh, taking new directions and uh, as you see requires very specialist types of expertise in certain platforms and technologies. I I um, see this model actually growing. Um, I have a lot of friends leaving uh, bigger agencies and starting on their own with a similar line of thought. Um, I do hope that eventually this would be a broader trend and, and larger organizations would pick up on this model. Because um, at the end of the day, similar to what I do, um, the guys that I work with, I don't own them. But then what I own is the curation of their work. And um, I think the 
the role of bigger organizations like a creative agency um, would have to do that as well. I don't think they can have everyone in-house. I think it's totally impossible. But then their value comes from creating the work. Um, I do hope that eventually this becomes a broader trend and um, agencies that I was once with and, and that I love could reshape their business that way as well. I really like the sound of it. It sounds like it's Jackson Pollock time. <laughs> time to... I love uh, the visualization you know, of that. Throw things in. <laughs> Just to, to make a change, to uh, uh, disrupt things. Okay. Well, great, Jocelyn. This has been great. Uh, uh, thank you for listening to part one of our conversation with Jocelyn Tse, lifting the lid on Asia. Um, a heavy lid indeed, but um, oh, what a heavenly aroma. Uh, and from the heavens, we're going back to Earth and the human condition. Part two, we're hacking humans. Uh, we'll hear from Jocelyn on her approach to human and cultural understanding. 